Um, we're jumping into a brand new series today entitled 2020. And you heard Jesse talk about a little bit earlier when she was doing announcements that the series kind of centers around and its real heart is around this kind of idea of setting up um, 2020 to really make it the best year we possibly can to set up all of the other years that come after 2020, right? So that when we answer that question five years from now, 10 years from now, what was the best thing that happened? It's full of things because we were really purposeful. And I'm not saying you weren't, don't hear that. But uh, <laughs> that we were really purposeful with the year 2020 and really setting up what our future was really going to look like. And so if there's one thing I guess I would want you guys to know um, today and over the next handful of weeks, so I'm not going to be speaking next week, Moya, so I'm not entirely sure. I told him to talk on dating, but who knows, weird things are, something's going to about something. His two topics are dating and sex for some weird reason, so you're going to get one of those. Um, and then the week after that, we're going to be talking more of kind of what we're talking about today, but in more depth. So uh, the question, or more so the thought, I guess I would say, that this series is going to be kind of looking at is your decisions today set up your de destinations for tomorrow. Your decisions today set up your destinations for tomorrow. Or another way, to, I guess, to say it is um, the decisions that you make, especially in your 20s, have ripple effects and consequences for your future. I like to think of the, 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 the 20s as like calm water and you drop like a pebble into it. It has this like large ripple, ripple effect. In other words, right, like your decisions you make today have huge cause and effect for what the future is going to look like for you in the next 5, 10, tomorrow, and whenever it may be, right? And so um, I want to talk about that because I think there is this kind of underlining belief that a lot of young adults have. So uh, most of us are probably millennials, which is anyone... Gen Z would be 2,000 onward, and us old people are not that, right? And so uh, most young people, and studies show this, is that we kind of have this underlining belief that we can escape the consequences of our decisions because we're young. And I think we're tempted to believe this because we have this kind of subconscious belief that work's going to happen later, um, marriage is going to happen later, um, our actual career is going to happen later, our financial stability is going to happen later, um, even death. It all happens later, hopefully, right? And so we kind of look at our 20s as this in-between stage where we kind of get to live it up, right? Um, we can have fun. Um, Wiz Khalifa in like 2011 said YOLO. It was the whole thing, right? It's kind of like the way that, um, the, the way that it worked, right? Or young, wild, and free. And so what I've learned is, and I get to do student ministries during in high school, and there's a lot of people in high school, and even young adults, they kind of just ruin their life. They, they, start, they start developing addictions that are fun now, but enslave them later, right? And, and so I want us to look over the next 10 years of our life, between 20 and 30, however old you are, um, and understand that those are potentially the most important years of our lives. And I don't do that to like burden you like, holy crap, I'm a mess, but more so to like make you aware that these years are very important. Think of in fi financial terms, like compound interest, right? What you invest now, the $20 you invest now has a huge payoff later on that'll grow into something larger. And so what I want to talk about is a few ways that I've seen uh, a lot of young adults kind of not live with intentionality, not make these, tw these 10 years between 20 and 30 really purposeful. And I've seen it really in three ways. The first is dating. Culture says, date whoever you want in your 20s, it doesn't matter. You can date an idiot, not like you're going to marry them, uh, <laughs> whatever it may be. And that's not entirely the truth. Like, all relationships, emotionally or romantically involved relationships, carry baggage with them. And you're putting, you're putting books on your shelf, or more so in your backpack, right? Ooh. All right, so the next would be uh, careers. I often find a lot of young adults uh, that think, I'm just working this dead-end job until, like, Bill Gates hires me to, like, manage his money or something, right? And it's like, that's not, that's not what's going to happen, right? Or uh, I'll figure out what I really want to do with my life when I'm older. But right now, I'll just, I'll just you know, I'll push it off. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever it is. And then the last thing would be their spiritual life. Most Gen Zs or millennials, young adults, I found that they delay this the most. 
And I get to meet with a lot of people, and one of the things I've found is this by far is the thing that people neglect the most. They move off. They'll say, like, well, you know, I got I to gotta go, you know, get my education. I got to you know, spend all this hours in school, all this money, and all this time doing homework on these days of the week, so, whatever, so I can't get involved. I can't start serving. I can't really read my Bible because I got a textbook already. Right? I can't do whatever this is. And so they start, like, pushing their relationship with God. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And so they're building a life for themselves. And let me say it this way, and I've said it in the past. I think a lot of people in the process of building a life, waste their life. In the process of building a life, people waste their life. I think the saddest thing, and I need you to hear me on this, the saddest thing, I think, is to reach the end of your life and know that you lived it wrong. And I know this to be from experience. When, um, I wasn't going to talk about this, but when my, um, a few months before my dad passed away, I've never seen a more depressed human being in my entire life. And I honestly don't think, so my dad was an alcoholic, and that's eventually what took his life, but I also think sadness and grief were some of the things that, that aided into the ending of his life. I remember having conversations on the couch and him just saying, like, why am I here? He was an atheist. He had no idea, like, well, well, why does my heart be? Like, well, am I just a, a housewife, and I'm just doing all the things that your mom's not going to do? She would, he would just complain and all these different types of things, and I was just so sad to see a man in his 60s reach the end of his life not knowing why he was created. He spent most of his life being a musician and finally became a police officer, and both are great jobs, but I think my dad had so many more gifts and talents than just those things. I think he chased his desires, and in some ways, I think those desires actually led him to death. And I think the saddest thing is to reach your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, or whenever uh, 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 the later part of your life will be, and reach it and realize that you spent all of those years wasting your life. I can find no, nothing more sad than that. And so the problem is, I think there is a lot of young adults, there are a lot of people that neglect these important areas. They could be neglecting their finances, uh, dating, um, their spiritual health and relationship with Christ, their careers potentially. And the problem is, when we neglect these areas in our life, they have real prob problems and real consequences that are going to show up in our marriages. They're going to show up in our, in our relationships. They're going to show up in our finances. They're going to show up in our relationship with God and our careers. And that's because studies show that 80, and I need you to hear this. This is kind of scary. 80% of life's major decisions are made before you're 30. Google, 80% of life's major decisions are made before you're 30. That's what all studies show. It really, in between the ages of 20 and 30. Now, if that doesn't terrify, well, my hope is that it doesn't terrify you more so it just Again, makes you move with intentionality for these, these next years. So what does that really mean for your dating life? It means don't, don't date idiots. It means your time and your heart is valuable. I'm looking at a few. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, I'm just playing. I start calling you out. Spotlights. Like, uh, right? Like, legit. Like, like, you are a valuable human being. I don't know if the guy or girl in your life makes you feel that way, but you have incredible worth. You're create. Okay. I'm just going to go on tangents. Genesis chapters 1, verse 27. It says, let's make man in our image. What that means is you were created in God's likeness of a person of incredible beauty and value and talent and giftedness. And so who you share your time, who you give your heart to is of incredible worth. Yet people are like doing weird things on like Tinder and all these weird apps and things like that, just giving part of their hearts away, not knowing that they're actually damaging it. But you have incredible worth and value. Well, why would you share that with somebody? I don't want to use the term undeserving, but... This isn't going to treat you as you should be treated. Let me, let me say it, I guess, another way. Is for those of you that aren't married, the best time to work on your marriage, now. It's right now. It's today. It's not then and later. It's, it's now. Your life is way easier when you're single. I don't, make, I don't mean to make marriage sound bad. Marriage is awesome. But what I do mean is, like, you have more energy, more time to spend in the developing of a healthier you than you will when you're joined to another human being. 
And so take these years, take this, th this time developing a healthy, you go to CR, go to counseling, do whatever you need to do. I, I meet with uh, couples all of the time. And one thing I've, I've learned is there is no such thing as marital problems. There are two messy people who got married. <laughs> and now they're like, oh, they blame each other for their problems. Like, no, you sucked, you suck, now you have a sucky marriage. Let's work to make it better, right? And if you guys would have just gone to counseling in years past, you wouldn't be dealing with the things you're dealing with now. And so now work through your crud. That'd be the way I'd say it. The other would be, um, what does this really mean for your career? Well, it means a few things. But number one, studies do show that in the first 10 years of you working, um, really do set you up for what your future is going to look like occupationally. And that also includes your income. A significant amount of income more when you move with intentionality between the ages of 20 and 30. And then lastly, the most important one is our spiritual health in life. You and I, we're setting up spiritual patterns right now that will dictate the, re the rest of our lives and the relationship that we're going to have with God. I mean, just think about it for a second. Do you think, do you think it's <laughs> after ingraining a certain type of behavior or lifestyle for the first 30 years of your life that it's going to be easier or harder to drop when you decide to take it seriously? Harder. And at 30 or in 30-ish or whatever it may be, you're going to have bills. Maybe you have a family and a kid or whatever it is. And you have a career and bills and all these different types of things you're going to be trying to juggle and try to figure out. And so things are going to get harder, not easier in your life. It's going to be harder to connect with God later on than it is right now. And so the problem is most people, and studies show this with millennials significantly, uh, they're not leaving their homes later. Nothing's wrong with that type of stuff. But here's what would be wrong about one thing is don't push the important things onto your life into your 30s. See, most people push, like, the important decisions in their lives to the 30s. Now they have this enormous amount of pressure to pick a career, to get married, to have a kid. And what ends up happening is this pressure makes and forms people to make ill and bad decisions that they, 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 they in some way actually may regret because they're under an enormous amount of pressure. And so I want us to save us from wasting the next 10 years of our lives. Or however old we are, I want, I want that until we are in our, in our 30s, I want us to be really purposeful with the years that we do have. And so I use this illustration. I give a very, very similar uh, sermon um, in January to young adults. And I use this illustration that's like we're like an airplane. And we're taking off, let's say, at LAX. The smallest change now has drastic implications for where we're going to land. Right, let's say we're at LAX, we're trying to get to China. A two-degree uh, change south is going to make us land in India or something, right? We're going to land in an entirely different place. So what that means is the decisions that you make have huge ramifications down the future. Your decisions today change your destination tomorrow. That would be the entire sermon. We could just pray right now. That's basically the sermon that I'm, that I'm giving you tonight. And so in this series, I just wanted to do two things. Number one would be make you aware that your future starts today. Your future starts here. It starts right now. And then number two would be help us come up with a plan to prepare us for our marriages to prepare us for our careers someday, and to, and to help us with our spiritual life, the life that God actually intended and wanted us to live. In the book of John, chapter 10, verse 10, it says that Christ came to give life abundantly. And I do believe that. I do believe that Christianity isn't this huge game, as Simon says, where we're not allowed to do certain things. We are allowed. To, it's not that. It's that our Creator wants a relationship with us, has created you with a purpose in mind. As you tether yourself to the purpose in which your Creator gave you, you will find life and find it abundantly. And that's the premise of what we're going to be talking about over the next handful um, of weeks. And so today, our simple kind of topic we're going to talk about is your career and kind of how that aligns with your individual purpose in life. And like I said earlier, I do believe. I do believe all of you have an individual purpose, a unique reason that your heart beats that's actually different than mine. I don't know if you ever thought about that before. Have you ever thought, wow, in eternity past, God had you in his mind, your personality, your talents, your gifts. He had you. And I love the way that the Bible says this in the book of Psalms. It says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. What it, so like when you read Genesis and the way that God created the universe, it just says he spoke. 
God said and like, you know, created Big Bang Cosmos, whatever it may be, he created the world. But the Bible says that he knit you together in your mother. I think of like an old grandma and like with their hands shaking, like arthritis or something, and they're just intentionally taking time to interwove the fibers to make something beautiful. That's the image that we're given in Psalms, that God knit, he took time in creating you, giving you personality and talent and gift and, 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 and ultimately a purpose and plan for your life. And so I'm, I'm willing to bet whether you're a Christian or not that you probably sit here today and would believe that, you, that your life has meaning and purpose. Now, you may disagree with me where that comes from. Is it objective? That means is it actually given to you or is it subjective, meaning it's artificial? You create it for yourself. And I'm willing to bet, though, everyone here believes they're here for a reason. It, it would be really hard to live a life where you feel like it was just meaningless and hope and, and there's no purpose or anything along those lines. And so I'm willing to bet that at some point your subconscious or even in, in, your, in your mind, you've asked questions like, why am I here? Or, or like, why, why does my heart beat? Do I have a specific meaning or purpose for my being, for, for me being alive? Do I just go to school and spend all this money? You know, do I, am I supposed to have this job? Am I supposed to get the two-story house in Rossmore or Seal Beach or, and get a white picket fence and make this certain amount of year and have 2.5 kids and a little dog? Like, is that supposed to be, and then play golf, retire, and die? Like, what's my life supposed to look like? Or is there more? Is there more to my life than, is it going somewhere? In fact, the very fact that you've asked that question at some point probably is actually good indication that you were made for a reason. I mean, just think about it, right? Like, never once has my little corgi named Zara, like, when I, you know, was taking her to go to bed at night, like, turned around and said, like, Matt, why am I here? You know, it's like, never happened, right? I can't just imagine her, like, you know, sitting on our balcony, just, like, howling at the moon, just, like, this existential problem of trying to find out why her little heart beats inside her chest. No, right? She doesn't care about purpose. She just wants to go on a walk, get pet, have a milk bone. That's a great life. That's it, right? That's all she wants, right? In fact, she like starts to watch TV. It's the weirdest thing. She'll sit on the couch and like watch TV, and you're like, maybe she likes TV. I don't know. But she doesn't wrestle with these like existential type of questions that you and I struggle with. See, there's something in you that believes there's more to life. And Christianity has an answer. It says, yes. Yes, there is. The reason you have that desire, you wrestle with those questions of origin or meaning or purpose or morality or whatever it may be. The reason you have that is because you do have a purpose. Your life does have a meaning. God does have a call on your life. In fact, it's even larger than that. There is a God who knows your name, who has implanted certain talents and gifts inside of you, and you have a specific plan. He has given you a specific plan if you choose to listen to it. And I'm willing to bet that you guys already know that. Because, if, because there's probably something inside you that will not let you believe that your life is purposeless, that your life is meaningless, that it, that is, that it has no hope in it. And so today, I just want to briefly explain how I think we can find the clues to the God's specific purpose and his specific meaning in our life. And one of the ways, and there's tons of ways, and we're going to, over the next few weeks, go into deeper ways, but this is like the surface level one for tonight. One of the ways I think that we can discover God's uniqueness or God's maybe plan for, for our life, for your life and my life, is to pay attention to the uniqueness God has placed in you. In other words, I think God has placed his fingerprint specifically on each one of you, and that makes each one of you guys unique, each one of you guys different, like I said, with talents and gifts and whatever it may be. And one of the ways that I think we can find how God has created us and what he has created us to do is to look inward into ourselves and ask, how am I unique? How am I different? What are, what are my interests? Because there's something that you love that another loathes. There's something that you're really good at that another person sucks terribly, Right? There are gifts that you guys have that are naturally to you, that they come to you. And if you don't know them, that's totally fine. But I would ask you, you would ask your creator, what am I good at? May I see your fingerprint on me and know what you've, how you've hardwired me? That would be, that would be the, the, the challenge. And actually, actually the thing that I would, I would ask you to do, I'd ask you to pray this prayer. I do believe there's a purpose, and I do believe there's a purposer. That's the right way to say that. 
or that you were created and there's a creator, and the only way that you'll know your purpose is if you ask him. I give this silly illustration that just came to my mind in junior high all the time. I don't know if I've given it here. But years ago, my mom was making tacos, and uh, she thought my dad, no, my dad thought uh, that my mom bought him like a new cheese grater, and then eating all these tacos, and all of a sudden my mom starts like gagging, and we're like, what? And she, my dad was using, you know what a ped egg is? This thing like grates the skin off your feet. <laughs> and that's, he's like, oh, this thing's cool. It's like just grating the new cheese. So with like skin and like my, it was disgusting. Anyways, right, so my dad looked at it and thought, oh, this is, this is what this is for. It looks like a cheese grater. Not a cheese, it's a foot grater, right? Right, that's not what its purpose was. And it did a poor job doing it. But how would my dad know what its intended design was? Well, if he picked up the box and read it, because the creator has an intended purpose. You have an intended purpose for living and moving. And by the way, I think the only way you're going to experience real joy, find peace and freedom, is when you actually align yourself with God's will and purpose for your life. See, I think, I think, I think freedom only comes from a relationship with God and two, living from that relationship. The other thing I would say is when you talk with God, I think you're going to be shocked at how willing he is to communicate to you. The Bible says to ask, seek, knock, and you'll find, right? I do believe that if you're just willing to ask God, why am I here? He is of utmost willing to answer that prayer. The second thing, I guess step two would be take advantage of opportunities God puts along the way and then lean into them. I'll give you maybe a silly story. So uh, 2011, January 11th. Um, I had two papers in front of me. One, ROTC. That was like my goal in life, to be an officer in the Army. Then I was going to be, my whole goal was to be on the counterterrorism unit in the FBI. I had everything planned out by like the age 27, 30. It was all planned out. And then uh, Cody, um, my now brother-in-law, back then he was my youth pastor, uh, he handed me an internship paper. Hey, do you want to you be my slave for a few years? I was like, great. Um, <laughs> like indentured servant, right? And so uh, I was like, ah, oh, well, let me talk to God about it. So I spent like a few weeks like asking God, like, is this an opportunity that you want me to say yes to? Like, this is what I've wanted to do my entire life. I've had it all planned out since I was like, like the first word I said was like army or something, right? Like that was like, that was like it was all planned out, right? Is this an opportunity you want me to take? And so I, I spent time fasting and praying and seeking wise counsel. And I felt, yeah, this is what he's nudging me in this direction. So I, I wrote my name and I handed it back to him. Now, did I know that, 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 that my little signature was going to eventually alter the course of my entire future? It was eventually going to change what school I went to, what I studied. It was going to affect what I was going to do for the rest of my life, where I was going to live, and eventually who I was going to marry. No. In fact, it would probably, I would have been like shaking if it was like, like, this is a big decision, right? But no, I had no idea. I just felt through prayer that God was pushing and prompting me to take this opportunity, and eventually I found what God actually wanted me to do with my life. And by the way, that's exactly how I think God works. I think God guides our professional and personal lives, our professional careers and personal lives through opportunities, not miracles. Like, we have these ideas that God's going to, like, show up in a dream and be like, you're supposed to be a nurse. And you're like, what? That's not how it works, right? I think God works through current opportunities to connect us with future ones. In fact, when you open up the Bible, the Bible is littered with this theme in pretty crazy ways. You'll see people um, op asking God for a series of opportunities and then asking God to see those opportunities and then God working through them. Let me just give you a few. Um, one of my favorites is the story of David. So his responsibility was to take care of sheep. He was a shepherd boy who became king. And so David had a little interesting daughter. He was a shepherd, and it was a pretty boring and really low job in their society. And so, in fact, his family often forgot about him. Nathan comes to uh, Jesse, the dad, and, and asks, like, hey, we're all your sons. And so they, there's seven of them. He's like, hey, didn't you have eight sons? He's like, oh, yeah, he's out in the field. And so they got the girl David, right? And, and so it wasn't a really high position, often overlooked, definitely not prestigious. I don't know the equivalent would be like working at Paxson. I worked at Paxson. I can say that. All right. Uh, back in the day. Um, now, one day, as he's kind of watching his, his sheep, 
a lion comes and attacks one of the sheep. And so he, you know, want, runners over there or whatever it is and kills the, kills the, the, the lion. And you would I like read that and we like glance right over that. Like, yo, a teenager killed a lion with like a stick and a slingshot. Like, so I was in Africa a few years ago and I was on a safari and like a lion came up to like the door and I was just like, oh my, like the paw is literally the size of like my dog. It's the size of a corgi. It's in, they're huge, right? So you like glance over it. But yo, like a teenage boy just killed a lion. In fact, it even happens again. A bear shows up in a few verses later and uh, is attacking one of the sheep and he wanders off and kills the bear as well. And then something interesting happens when you just skip like five verses from that that passage. He goes to visit his brothers at war. So the Israelites and the Philistines, there's this huge war that's going on. And so the dad comes over to David and says, yo, I need you to like go check on your brothers, bring in some in and out, make sure everything's cool, right? He's like, all right, puts in his backpack and he's on his way to go see where the war is. And so finally he's walking up and there's a kind of an, uh, an overlook that overlooks the valley where the war is going to be taking place. And he hears no blood being thrown in the air? I don't know if that's a, no swords dinging. Here's no agony, nothing. And he's wondering, why is it silent? That's not how a war should sound, right? And so he's getting on the top of the hill and finally sees that on the right-hand side, the Israelite army, the Jewish army, he's Jewish, where his brothers should be. Then the Philistine army is on, is on the left side, and there's no fighting going on. In fact, there's not many really people out in their tents or anything along those lines. He just kind of sees the people are huddled around campfires cooking food. He's wondering, what's going on? And so finally, he waddles down, gets down the, 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 the mountain, finally finds his brothers and realizes that everybody's hiding in their tents, wondering what's going on. Like, why is everyone so fearful of fighting? Like, this is what you guys signed up to do. This is who you guys are. And out of nowhere, this giant of a man, most scholars believe is nine foot five, name's Goliath, walks out. I can imagine the ground like shaking when he's walking out, walks out into the middle of the battlefield and just starts like cursing out their God and says something along the lines like, your best man against me, winner takes all. And David goes, all right. And people are like, what? Like, like, what do you mean? Like, and he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll go find him. And they're like, dude, you're five foot two, 100 pounds. Like, what, what, what? He's going to dunk you like a basketball. What are you, you're stupid. And in fact, people are like, do you feel like a mental illness? Like, what's going on? Like, this is not going to end in your favor, right? And he's like, no, I'll be fine. And so the king, his name Saul, literally tries to give his, his armor to, to this little, to David, this little boy. And he's like, yo, it's not going to fit me. And so he walks out into this middle, and there's thousands of people on each side, just like awestruck, just watching this kid be killed probably. People are like, this is a terrible idea. He walks out there. Goliath just starts charging at him. The ground's moving up and down. And he just like just patiently locked, like looking for a rock, like the perfect one, picks it up, puts it in his sling and his sink, just nails Goliath dead in the forehead, knocks him down, walks over to him, grabs Goliath's own sword, chops off his head. The Bible says he lifts the head up, which is probably like the mountain of a head, and just points it to the Philistine army, grabs it by its hair, and just walks back over to the Israelite. It's just silence. Like what just happened? See, amen. So what, what David did by killing Goliath was kind of just an extension of what he's already been doing. In other words, God was using what he was doing in the past to present and to prepare him for what was coming in the future. And this, by the way, turned him into a national hero and eventually king. And what I love about this story, by the way, is nothing supernatural in it, right? It's just one event after another that David took advantage of and eventually became king. I'll give you one more. In Genesis 37, it's the story of uh, Joseph. Now, if you think you hate your job, Joseph literally was a slave. He was thrown into a well by his brothers, uh, eventually be sold off into slavery into Egypt. Now, what's interesting is Joseph had a really unique gift set. His gift, giftedness was administration. He was really good at, like, org charts and leadership and things like that. And so eventually, as a slave, he leans into it, and he begins to gain more favor with his master, Potiphar. Eventually, on some trumped-up charges, um, uh, uh, they... Uh, Say he raped someone, he didn't, then gets thrown into a dungeon. There he leans into the thumbprint, the uniqueness of him, his gifts, and uh, he finds favor with actually the, the warden. He makes like an org chart for the entire dungeon. It's a weird thing, but that's what is happening. And Joseph didn't know this at the time, 
But what was happening was he was a key part of what God was doing in the world at that time, and all he did was just lean into the thumbprint that God had on him, his gifts and his talent, and leverage the opportunities he was presented with. And then you fast forward, and the end is Joseph, who was a slave, is now the second most powerful person in the world at that time, uses his gifts because the Pharaoh finds out that he's really good at this type of stuff, and basically like organizes all of Egypt and saves the entire known world at the time from a famine that was going to happen. And it all happened because one man decided to just lean into his skills and his talent and his fingerprint and, that, and took one opportunity from another. Now, with all that being said, and we'll begin to kind of wrap up here, um, there's two verses that I want to look at really quick tonight in the context of kind of what we just talked about. But kind of Paul, it, we're going to jump into the book of Colossians, just previously to this, kind of talks about really difficult relationships. Whatever the difficult relationships, your, your boss, um, whatever dip, your, your marriage, your girlfriend, whatever the most difficult relationship in your life is, probably your mom, whoever, just think, think of that relationship right now, okay? And, and he's kind of speaking to these types of relationships, really difficult relationships. He uses masters and slaves, he uses marriages, he uses parents to kids, difficult relationships potentially. And then he kind of puts um, uh, this general principle in, into play. And I want you to listen to the verse in the context of what he just said. He said this in Colossians 3, 23. He says, whatever you do, so he's like, I, I get I get that you want to work somewhere else or, or you want to be in a bigger house or a better job or more money or nicer or whatever, but in the meantime, whatever you do and wherever you are, he says, work at it with all your heart. Literally pour your heart, pour your life into it, no matter how bad your boss is, whatever the circumstances are in, fully engage in what you're doing. And he wraps up and says, as working for the Lord, not a human master. I actually find the term master here to be a bad translation. In the Greek, it more so translates to everyday people and everyday tasks. And so here's what he's saying. I want you to see every opportunity handed to you or work handed to you that it's an opportunity given to you by God him very self. And that's like, that's ah, okay, it's a job or uh, I'm dealing with it or whatever it may be. But look at it if this opportunity was given to you by God because your future opportunities are dependent upon your current stewardship. Your future opportunities are dependent upon your current stewardship. That means your responsibility. And then Paul finally wraps up in verse 24, and he says this. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So here's what this means. There are eternal ramifications for how we steward the opportunities God brings along today. Not just for our future, but for our eternities. And so summary of what Paul is saying is just simply this. Number one, seek God through prayer to find his specific will for your life. Number two, do everything now as if you're doing it for God. And then God says, I'll answer that prayer, and I'll max out your gift set, and I'll do something incredible with your life. And so today, I want to end service. We started service with questions.